following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Isaiah, the prophet of God, lived about a hundred years before Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the prophet during the fall of Jerusalem. There was about a 30-year period between the two when God was totally silent. It's terrifying to me when God is silent. The, the false prophets 
they were very vocal. They were, re- they were proclaiming peace and not judgment. They were going directly against the word that Isaiah had proclaimed. But the people loved it. It was a time of great prosperity. Business was wonderful. Trading partners with the large nations of the earth. Jeremiah, his ministry began about 627 B.C. Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, fell to the Babylonians in 605. Egypt went to engage Babylon in the battle at Carchemish. Josiah intercepted Necho, king of Egypt, on the plain of Megiddo. And although Necho had warned Josiah not to try to stop him, Josiah did try to stop him anyway. And in that battle, this man of God, who led a revival, was killed. And as soon as he died, the revival ended. And like her sister Israel, Judah played the harlot again. Egypt was defeated by the the Babylonians at Carchemish. And this left the Babylonians as the predominant world power, the empire of Babylon. And it was to be used by God as a rod of punishment against his adulterous wife. And Jeremiah the prophet wept. Now what's so interesting to me about this history is that today we see mighty empires forming that will counter the American empire. God is set to bring incredible judgment upon the world, not just America, but China, Russia, Europe, the Middle East. God is ready to bring judgment on Iran, Saudi Arabia, Qatar. God is ready to bring judgment upon the world. Why? Because we have, as a world utterly rejected the Lord God of heaven. We've turned to false gods. We've lifted up in America every form of witchcraft and ugliness and wickedness. We have become what many proudly say is a secular culture. Or I would say a wicked and sinful culture. Now we find in the book of Jeremiah that he is a priest. He is also of the royal house. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah one day. And the Lord said to him, Behold, I formed thee in the belly. I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I set you apart, or I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. 
So while while Jeremiah was being formed in his mama's womb, the God of heaven was already looking at him, choosing him, setting him apart. Jeremiah had no understanding of this. He didn't know that God was choosing him. He didn't know that God was setting him apart. Of course, this passage of Scripture is the one of the strongest in Scripture against abortion. For what baby that God wanted to use has been murdered by wicked abortionists? It's frightening. What if my mother had had decided to have an abortion? What if your mama had decided to have an abortion? Listen to his reply to God. It sounds very similar to Moses. This is Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 6. Then said I, Ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. And the Lord said to him, Say not, I'm a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. God does not accept no. When he sends, he sends. And he says, Don't be afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Now you know from reading the book of Jeremiah that he was put in a pit where he could have died. God rescued him out of that. He was also one day put in the stocks, in the public stocks out in the city square where everyone could pelt him with rotten fruit and shame him because of what he'd been preaching. But then, it says, The Lord put forth his hand, and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. So Jeremiah was not going to preach whatever he thought about preaching. He was not going to say what he chose to say. He would open his mouth and the word of God would begin to pour out. He was anointed. And in verse 10, the Lord said, See, I have this day set thee over nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, and to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. We don't know much about Jeremiah's building and planting we know a lot about his throwing down and destroying I've often wanted to know the rest of the story how was this prophecy fulfilled in his building and planting and then the Lord came to Jeremiah and he has a vision and he sees a rod of an almond tree Now, the rod is for punishment. The almond tree, literally the word almond in the Hebrew means to be ready, to hasten, to awake. 
So we now see that God is in a hurry. He wants to use Jeremiah now because there's a crisis in the land. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. And then he sees another vision, and this is of a, of a pot, seething pot, tipping. The Lord said, Out of the north, an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. So God is saying, I'm going to bring devastation upon you. It's the only way I know to correct you. And in verse 16, he says, And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all of their wickedness, who have forsaken me, and burned incense, or prayed unto other gods, and worshipped the works of their hands. So God comes with urgency regarding three issues. Now please, God is about to uncover their hearts. It's always frightening. No, it's terrifying when God comes and begins to uncover our hearts. Because our hearts, according to the book of James, they're filled with all kinds of wickedness. The tongue uttering judgments, setting fires, pride, pride, pride so that I don't want to face the reality of God's judgment upon me. I've experienced God's judgment on my life a number of times. I don't appreciate it. I don't want it. I don't like it. But I treasure it. You hear me? When God begins to uncover our hearts and the bitterness begins to appear, the angry words begin to flow, the bitter root begins to fester. God cares. And these things usually happen when we've been hurt. And God wants to turn them and heal them. He comes with three identifiable things that are wicked. First is the forsaking me. When we forsake the Lord, it grieves his heart. When we walk away from Jesus, it grieves his heart. Now, why would we walk away from Jesus? Well, because we have other interests that we want to pursue. I'm very sober today. I'm very concerned today. I'm very heartbroken today. Jesus wants me to depend entirely and completely on him. 
One dear brother was very troubled last evening as we talked together about the story of Mary and Martha. He had heard the broadcast last week and he recognized that he was a Martha. Always pushing to get things done. And I'm like that too. Sometimes my friends will laugh at me because I'll begin saying, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. I gotta do this, I gotta do that. Now when God calls us to do things, we need to do them and do them quickly. But the wickedness is in turning to be busy about preparing the meal even for Jesus and not just depending upon him and trusting in his mighty power. Jesus has such incredible compassion and love for us and he wants us to respond with that same incredible self-sacrificing love for the kingdom of God. And when we don't do that because we're caught up in something else, then he has to begin to rebuke us and say, no, no, that's not, that's not right. The second issue that the Lord highlights for Jeremiah is that the people are burning incense to other gods. Now, what would that mean in today's culture? Well, I want to suggest that it could mean using our resources to bow down to what we desire. constantly lifting up what we most want job car house clothes relationships where we constantly are giving ourselves at this altar to gain what we desire in our heart I must confess I have often done this and the Lord has had to come and say no stop standing watching waiting working toward what my goal is instead of depending on the Lord and trusting in him to bring about what he desires the third charge is worshiping what the hands have made. Well, the word worship means to give value to, to give worth to. So if I begin to assign values to what man has created, and especially to what I have created, I'm bowing down and I'm worshiping the things that I've made. And I'm forgetting that the Lord himself is the creator God. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So Jeremiah is hearing the Lord say to him, I'm going to judge the children of Israel with a foreign army that will come in and slay them and take them into captivity because of these three items. They have deserted me. They have left me. They no longer come with hearts filled with love. They no longer come worshiping me. And they're using their energy and their time to serve other gods. And then the, the final one. They've started to worship their own creations. Read carefully Romans, the first chapter. It's detailed there. Now, the Lord says to Jeremiah, don't be terrified by these people. Don't be terrified by their faces. If you're terrified of them, and you pull back, I'm going to terrify you. Well, we don't want to be terrified by God. He is the ultimate terror. And he says, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. Now, the Lord is not promising that he's not going to go through some pain and anguish, some suffering. We all go through that, some more than others. But the Lord is saying that out of that anguish and out of that pain, I will deliver you. This is the introduction to the book of Jeremiah. It's very sobering. Because most of us would not identify these three issues as being so vitally important that God would send the Babylonians to take them into captivity and burn Jerusalem. But you see, God's values are not our values. God's ways are not our ways. And he sees that if we stop intimately following and trusting in him and we get into our own issues and we rise up against the Lord God of heaven and we refuse to obey his commands, we're offering our incense to other gods. And then when we begin to worship what our hands have made, we've crossed the final frontier. And the only thing God can do is come and burn down what you've built with your own hands. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. I pastored the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Jeremiah is the prophet who comes weeping and he comes calling for repentance. And you understand what repentance is. It's what Jesus called for in Mark. It says that he went out preaching repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
In other words, the royal authority of God is ready to be exercised over this land. And he's saying, you can enter that royal authority and become subject to it only by repenting, I would suggest, of these three items I've just listed for you. Those are the core items from which we must seriously cry out to God in total, complete repentance. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and he is now told to go. He hasn't been told to go yet, so he's, I'm sure, been praying about these three items and wondering how he's going to address these issues. Well, the word of the Lord came to him, and when the word of the Lord came to him, He said, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord. Now, you understand, he was not from Jerusalem. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. So he traveled some distance to get there to proclaim this message in the streets of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. He's referring back to that incredible experience of being drawn out of Egypt as a whole nation and going out and crossing the Red Sea and walking into that inhospitable land where if God did not provide food and water, they would die. If he did not provide shade, they would die. And there were times when they loved the Lord. There were other times when they went into full rebellion against the Lord. But right now, the Lord is just remembering the kindness of Israel's youth and the love expressed when the Lord proposed to them. It says in verse 3, Israel was holy unto the Lord. And the first fruits of his incense, he was holy before the Lord. The children of Israel were made holy by God. They were the first fruits of his incense. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Even yet today, all who would devour Israel, God's judgment falls upon them. Evil comes upon them. We've seen it year after year after year. Israel is blessed of God. It is the land of God. It cannot be taken from them without a harsh judgment following from the Almighty God. Because the land of Israel does not belong to Israel, it belongs to God, and his eyes are always on that portion of land. In a recent visit there, I experienced that, the constant presence of of the Lord in that land. Verse 4, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me? 
that they are gone far from me and walked after vanity and are becoming vain. Well, that Hebrew word, vanity, literally means emptiness. Emptiness. So the Lord is asking a curious question. What have you found wrong with me? What have I done to offend you? Why have you gone so far away from me? And why have you walked in ways that just drained away all of my blessings and you became empty? These are questions that America must address. Why have we walked away from the Lord? This nation is the most blessed nation in all of the world. Never has a nation looked like this nation. Never has a nation had the prosperity, the lifestyle for the general population. It's one of a kind nation. And it seems that there are many who are deliberately trying to destroy this nation. Why? If they want to live in a socialist republic, why don't they move to a communist nation? Why are, why are they here? They don't belong here. They belong in a communist nation where they can have their way. I wish Bernie Sanders would just move to a communist nation. He doesn't belong in America, but because of the liberality of God, traitors can live in America. But we have to recognize a traitor as a traitor. We must recognize treason against God as treason. And, and the Lord is asking, look, what have I done to you? How have I, how have I neglected you? What have I not provided for you that you would turn and walk in empty ways? And then what was even more powerful and painful to God is that they never stopped to ask, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt? So they're walking in the wickedness of their heart they're giving their resources and their value to other gods. And they're worshiping what their hands have made. And no one thinks to ask, where is the Lord? You know, I've learned in my life that when I'm a part of something, And then I have to leave. I want people to say, where's Pastor Ray? Oh, he left. I want some concern in the hearts of the people, in whatever organization. Why? Because I would hope that I would have made a significant contribution. And they would say, where is he? Well, the Lord's the same way. He wants to give us everything, and he has. Even for us, pouring out Jesus Christ on the cross, 
He sacrificed his life for us. And yet, where do you hear on CBS or NBC or ABC? Where do you hear, where's the Lord our God? Where's Jesus? What is happening to our nation? What are we going to do? There's no concern. We think we can just live out our American lifestyle. We can do what we want to do. We can go where we want to go. We can say whatever we want to say. We can walk away from whatever we want to walk away from. That's not the way of Jesus Christ. Especially not his church. Well, pastor, I disagree with the church. Well, stay there and learn and share. I mean, what if my hand said this morning, you know what? I don't want to be on your body anymore. I'm leaving. And my hand walks out the door. I've now become a cripple. And yet, because we hurt each other, breaking happens, bitterness happens, judgments are passed, hardening in positions. I guess I'm saying to you, please, let's have consideration one for another. We're not lone wolves. We're sheep of the pasture of God. A wolf can strike out on its own. A lamb can't. He says, I led you through the wilderness and through a land of deserts and of pits and through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passes through and where no man dwells. Nobody went to that part of the desert. It's too hot, too barren. You couldn't live there. No water. So the rock produced the water. The sky, the Lord God of heaven, rained down upon them manna. The cloud by day to cover and grant them shade and coolness and the pillar of fire by night. And he brought them all the way through that desert land into a plentiful country. This is chapter 2 of Jeremiah, verse 7. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. And in all of the midst of that, he says in verse 8, The priest said not, Where is the Lord? Well, why would people not say, Where is the Lord? And why would the priest not say, Where is the Lord? Because they didn't know him. And they didn't miss him. In fact, they were unconscious of the fact that he was gone. Nothing is more tragic in the life of a Christian today than to be walking in sin without the anointing presence of the Holy Spirit 
and they don't even know the Holy Spirit was grieved from them because they're so much into their rituals, they're so much into their practice of religion, they're into their keeping of rules and regulations, they don't even know when the Lord leaves. This is so tragic in my heart. The prophets are now prophesying prosperity. I see around almost every corner churches and their pastors are preaching prosperity. The word in the scripture is Baal. It means the God of prosperity. He is the God who controlled the rain and the lightning that was the belief. He was supposedly the one who in the fall went down into the underworld to fight with the, the God of the underworld. And so we have the Christmas lights. They are to try to entice Baal back to the surface of the earth. And so we have our Yule logs and we have all of other traditions of Christmas but they're not of the Lord. They're of darkness. The setting up of the Christmas tree. It's all a celebration trying to entice Baal to come back to the surface where they can begin to have prosperity once more. But instead, they can't have prosperity because Baal is gone. And then we have what we call Easter, and that's when the Easter bunnies come out and the Easter eggs and all the pagan celebration to commemorate the coming forth of Baal so that now we can plant and grow our crops once more. Now we can prosper once more. Well, in the midst of all of that desire for prosperity and all of that desire to be right, and all of that desire to do what I want to do and go where I want to go, in the midst of all of that, no one is saying, where's Jesus? It's uncovering our hearts. Do you see that? It's living day by day as we think we would enjoy living. It's living day after day, pursuing my own goals, going my own way, without regard for where is Jesus? Where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me, he says. This is verse 8. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. Therefore, the Lord says, I'm going to bring charges against you. I'm going to bring charges against you. Has the Lord brought charges against your life? Are you walking 
day by day in the full knowledge of who Jesus is, but even more than that, are you walking day by day fully dependent upon him, waiting upon him, receiving from his hand only what he chooses to give you? Now I tell you, what I'm talking to you about is is not easy. I have many times missed the Lord and I have thought that what I was saying and what I was doing was the word of the Lord. And the Lord has come and rebuked me. I come with fear and trembling to this radio broadcast lest I speak anything out of my own heart and it be tinged with the fruit of bitterness or anger. That terrifies me. I want the word of the living God of heaven. So I've been asking, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? The emerging church, I listened to a a doctor lecture, a PhD lecture in theology. And she said, we have lost our authority. And my ears pricked up and I said, wait a minute, you've lost your authority? She said, yes, we need to find a new source of authority for the work of the gospel in America. The scriptures are no longer an adequate source of authority. We recognize, she said, that we have to pick and choose from the scriptures what fits the truth of today. And I thought to myself, you poor, deceived, ignorant PhD. You could not be further from the truth of God. The scriptures are the absolute authority of God. We stand or fall on the promises of God and on the word of God. These people, they were not asking, where is Jesus? Where is the Lord? They gave little thought to the fact that they had through their mothers and fathers and grandfathers and that they had been taken through a wilderness, through a land of desert and of pits, through a land of drought. They gave no thought to that. They gave no thought to the wonderful plentiful beautiful country they were given instead they stopped thinking about the lord god of heaven verse 9 wherefore this is jeremiah 2 verse 9 wherefore i will plead with you saith the lord and with your children's children will i plead He's pleading with them. Why have you changed? Why have you deserted me? Why have you gone your own way? Why are you just a good Jewish person? I have to ask the same question. Why are you just a good American, if that's what you are? Or is your heart broken at the absence of Jesus in our government and in our nation and in our culture. If I go to web pages like the Drudge Report 
or many others. The stories flow one after another of utter despicable wickedness. Where is Jesus in our land? And where is revival in our land? And when will we begin to pray for revival? When will we begin to pray for a move of the Holy Spirit to bring us back to our senses that we could recognize who Jesus Christ is? Without it, the judgments of God will come on this nation, and they will come very soon. I'm terrified as I, as I read the economic news of our day, and I see the huge buildup of debt. Now, I was taught as a child that debt was wrong, that you should not go into debt, that you should pay as you go. But that's an old-fashioned concept in America today. Everything runs by debt. Well, what happens when there's no more money to borrow? What happens when everything begins to come crashing down? I remember as a child, we used to play this game at birthday parties. Two rows of chair, back to back, would be placed in the middle of the room, and then everybody began walking around the chairs with the music playing. And then the music would stop. And everybody would quickly sit down, but there was one chair missing. And that person was out. And this continued until finally just two people remained. And they'd go very quickly around the back and then very slowly around the front. Musical chairs. That's what it was called. Well, what are you going to do when the music stops in America and all the chairs are gone and you can't find any place to lay your head? What are you going to do when the music stops? And you have not walked with Jesus faithfully. Well, you may be very religious, but not really knowing who Jesus Christ is and not having his Holy Spirit living in you, directing your steps. What are you going to do when the music stops? Where will you go? The grocery stores will be stripped of food. The gas stations will have no gas because there's no more money to borrow. The stock market crashes into oblivion. What are you going to do when the music stops? And believe me, the music is going to stop. When? I don't know. Musical chairs, you never knew when the music was going to stop. You just tried to make sure you had a chair to sit on when it did stop. So what are you going to do when the music stops? The grocery stores are empty and there's no gas. What are you going to do when there are no more Social Security checks going out? There's no more pension money being mailed out. 
what are you going to do? Do you know how to reach Jesus? Will he supply your need? Do you always have a seat like David in Psalm 23 at the table of the Lord? Where you sit down and there's a meal prepared in the presence of your enemies and your cup runs over. David knew where to put his feet under the table of Jesus. Are your feet under the table of Jesus today? Or are you off doing your own deal, caught up in the money, caught up and distracted by everything going on around you? You know, I finally made a decision. I'm not going to allow any more distractions into my life. My entire focus is going to be on Jesus. I'm not going to be distracted by the news of the day, the economy of the day, the foolishness of the day, the entertainment of the day. I'm just not going to be pulled aside by that from Jesus because I want to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. I don't want to spend eternity with a movie. I don't want to spend eternity in the grocery store or in the place of business or at work. I mean, can you imagine spending eternity doing what you're doing right now? Imagine that. Does it distract you from Jesus? Then you may be doing that. Maybe that's what hell is, doing an eternity of what you hate. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying. It says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewed out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So the Lord is saying, look, be very careful what you decide and what you do. Do not walk away from the, from the wonderful spring water that flows from the rock, Jesus Christ. You'll not find better water anywhere in the world. So I read the scriptures and I drink the water. I pray. I fellowship with Jesus. I fellowship with his people. I drink from the living water. I don't want to hew out a cistern. You know what a cistern is? When I was a, a young boy, we lived in Wyoming, a little town called, called Bosler. And in our house, we had no running water. We just had a cistern. And Dad would have to go to the railroad once a week that ran through Bo, uh, the town, little town of 50 of Bosler. And he would fill cans, milk cans with water, and he'd bring them back and he'd pour them in our cistern where the water would be held and then we had a pump at the sink where we pumped the water out that we needed for cooking and doing washing, whatever we needed. 
Well, he's saying they've they've hewn out cisterns for themselves. The problem is they're broken, they're cracked. They can't hold any water. So the more you pour into that cistern, the more drained you will become. We're going to start here tomorrow. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I invite you to share in the cost of this ministry. As the Lord prompts you, you can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, or you can mail your gift to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now let's pray. Lord, this is a very sober word that you gave to Jeremiah. And I pray that today our hearts will be so hungry for you, Jesus, that we'll be crying out, Where is Jesus? I must find Jesus. Lord, call us to yourself. Break every bondage of darkness that holds your people. Heal every wound that is torn their heart. And let your blessing be upon us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastored the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Blameless before the presence of his glory.